0: Support for this episode comes from Modern Football Technology. Modern Football Technology provides real-time opponent tendencies and self-scout while eliminating manual data entry into Huddle, DV Sport, and Exos. If you're tired of tools that are time-consuming to learn and perform inconsistently at best, then we recommend Modern Football for a fresh perspective. Schedule a demo today at teammofo.com to see a battle-tested tool that's proven to perform and deliver value. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. And listen to our recent episode featuring Folsom High School defensive coordinator Jordan Ersik to learn more about how the 2023 California State Champion uses modern football to dominate their opponents. On today's episode, we're going to talk about burnout and stress and some of the things that we can do as coaches to avoid these situations. And I want to share a personal story myself. And going back to the 2011 season, we had a very successful season. I believe at one point we were were ranked as high as number nine. Just a great year, a great year on offense. Uh, All kinds of things going right within our football program. But on the other side, on the personal side of things, I left that season much worse than I was from a physical standpoint. It was a lot of stress that I let get into my life. I left the season 25 pounds heavier than when I started it. And right after the season, I had my yearly physical with my doctor, went into the office, had done the blood work before. Everything was awful. Cholesterol was bad. Sugar was bad. Everything that was supposed to be at certain levels was in the wrong place. Uh, blood pressure was up to the point where the, the doctor brought in a portable EKG, did it right there and then and said, I need you to go to a cardiologist tomorrow. And he, you know, worked through all that, got me in, and the next day I met the cardiologist uh doing a stress test and then having the dye shot through my veins so they could take a look at everything within me and what's going on. And fortunately, all of this was easily correctable. There was no damage per se. But I put myself in a situation that accumulated over time. It was spending a few more hours in the office, losing a little bit more sleep to look at tape, too much caffeine instead of having a good meal, getting something quick, putting off exercise, saying, oh, I'll just get it tomorrow. All of those things accumulated on me and put me in a bad position where Truthfully, if I continued on that path, that wasn't going to be good for me. And I think that happens to a lot of us that we get caught up in all the activity of the season and think that we have to set everything aside. But the truth is that if we keep those things in line, we're probably performing better as human beings, which allows us to do our job in a better way. So to discuss all of this with me today is Dr. Eric Corum. He's been on the podcast before, has worked with a number of college teams, worked with the Houston Texans, and now has a company called AIM7. So we're excited to have him here today and talk about this topic. So, Doc, welcome back to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Keith. I'm excited to be here talking about something that I think is in the forefront of a lot of people's minds inside and outside of football.
0: Definitely. Yeah, it is our society today. We've certainly been able to pack a lot of things into our lives through Mm. things like technology and being instantly available, all good things for efficiency. Yet at the same time, I don't know that we've completely figured out how to have those things in our life with some balance as well.
1: Yeah, you're 100% correct. And, you know, football is kind of like a, a kind of a, you can kind of put a, microscope on things and really highlight how stress can impact us negatively, but also, you know, really stress is. I think our, our conception of stress is really screwed up um, right now. Um, we think stress is like this bad thing, right? Like everybody's like, oh, you need to manage stress better. Well, I, the idea that you can manage stress is a complete fallacy like you can't manage the stock market, right? Like this whole thing with, was it FTX crypto? Like nobody could manage that situation. You can't manage if you drive into an intersection and somebody hits your car. You can't manage how friends are gonna react sometimes and relationships are gonna go south. What we need to start doing is to start reframing the mindset of I'm gonna manage stress to I wanna build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost, because stress is really the gateway to growth. Like, if you want to improve at anything in your life, you have to deliberately engage in stress. So let's say you want to get physically healthy, you want to get stronger, right? So you start lifting weights. Guess what that is? That's stress. If you want to learn a new skill or learn a new scheme, guess what you have to do? You have to deliberately engage in learning, and there's some stress with that. That is how your body gets better. My friend, Dr. Alex Arbach, he's the director of wellness and development for the Raptors. He says, stress is our brain and body preparing us to do something effortful. The key here is, is that you have to be able to adapt to that stress. When you adapt, you get better, right? Just like you see with your players, they go into the weight room. They, they train well. They eat good. Let's say they get enough rest. Guess what? They're getting stronger. They're getting bigger. They're getting faster. There's also kids that do the same exact thing and nothing happens. You're like, what, what's wrong with this? Well, usually it's because they're not adapting to stress. And stress, you can kind of create the conditions for adaptability. And so what happens is that stress in and of itself isn't bad. It's when when you have so much stress that it exceeds your capacity to adapt to it. That's when you get sick. That's when you can have physical and mental health issues.
0: Right. And, and those things seemingly are hard for us to measure, uh, especially in real time. In my example, you know, it took ending the season to know like, oops, I, I got a problem here. Certainly I saw the, you know the weight going up, but I didn't see what was going on mm-hmm. internally. And those were the dangerous things. I mean, weight can be lost, but everything else that was going on that Were some bad numbers for me certainly were troublesome. And, and, you know, you've been on the podcast before talking about, uh, as the example, getting your team ready for week one and the right way to do that, that there's a strategy for this that gets you to that point for your, so you're ready to handle those loads. So in looking at that, I know you have some things that can help improve that capacity and things that you focus on pillars that really are are part of this. Uh, would love to hear you explain those for us.
1: Before I I go into those pillars, I want to bring up a couple other quick things. Our response to stress, first of all, your brain and body do not differentiate between mental and physical stress. It's one input, okay? And your body has one consistent way of responding to any type of stress. So like, um, Game kicks off, right? For most people, guess what's going to happen? Heart rate's going to go up. Blood pressure's going to go up. Think about any stressful situation. And I'm not talking stress is not a bad thing, right? Like let's say you have to get up and give a a speech. You're going to, palms may get sweaty. Pupils may dilate. This is what's called your autonomic nervous system is kicking off a cascade of events that's getting you ready to take action. That is what stress is for okay it's not this prehistoric system that was designed for us to fight or flee predators you hear about that oh this was like you know design when we we're having to run away from lions no it's like it it, it biases us towards actions whether it's physical action or verbal action here's the thing though your body is trying to maintain an internal balance or state of homeostasis and this is a this term is called allostasis so there's like two phrases I want you to remember. One is allostasis. And there's nothing wrong with going through intense stress. You can go from zero to 60, but the problem is, is when you get stuck at 60, that's when you start experiencing all these inflammatory issues that led you to have to go see your doctor. So every, your body's trying to reach this state of allostasis, this healthy internal environment. And there is a cost to adaptation. Every time you encounter physical and mental stress, you experience something called an allostatic load. When that load is chronic and it exceeds your ability to cope and adapt, that's when you have physical and mental issues. Okay. So what I want to pay everybody to understand is there's a price to be paid for stress. I'm going to try to reshift our framework to think of it. it's not about the stress itself. It's like, how do we build a bigger gas tank? Okay. So there's five things, five pillars to building more capacity. They are sleep, mental fitness, exercise, nutrition, and living in community or having healthy relationships. The scientific literature is very clear: not only do these things improve your capacity to adapt to stress, but they also prevent the most common lifestyle diseases in, that are facing our country right now: cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and obesity. So I can kind of go through these really quickly
0: yeah.
1: and kind of give you a little bit of physiology and like a couple key take home points. But I would say before I get into that, there's one behavior that I think every single person should be engaging in that anybody can do that's going to set them up for being able to adapt to stress. And that's this there's something called a circadian rhythm. You ever heard of that, Keith? Yes. Yeah, it's a 24-hour rhythm that our body has, and every cell of your body is, is anchored on this, but there are external cues in your environment that keep you regulated, okay? Your circadian rhythm drives your alert cycle, like when you feel alert and when you feel sleepy at night. The thing, the primary driver for your circadian rhythm is sunlight, is light in general, When you view sunlight first thing in the morning, it sets your body's, I'm talking your hormones, it kicks off a cascade of hormonal and neurological events that set your body up for adapting to stress. It sounds so simple, but think about this. hundred years ago, like we weren't working indoors all the time. We were outside, right? When you view sunlight early in the morning, All it takes is about five to 10 minutes on a really clear day. It sends a signal to this thing on the top of the roof of your mouth. It goes through your eyes. Your eyes interact with light. And then it sends a signal to this thing called the uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is also known as a circadian pacemaker, which sends a signal to every single cell in your body that it's time to be alert. It does this by increasing cortisol, which is great. It also increases your body temperature. So if you want to be more alert during the day, it all starts by the first thing that you do in the morning. And this does not work very well if you're looking at uh, the sun through a window. You literally have to go outside. So whether it's cold, whether it's hot, first thing I do in the morning, I get up before the sun's up. But as soon as that sun starts peeking up, I go outside and maybe, you know, I'll eat my breakfast outside, you know, or... If I'm having to drop my kids off, I'll go hang out in the parking lot for a few minutes. That literally, that one single action will improve your alertness during the day. And then it also helps you release melatonin about 12 to 16 hours later so that you can fall asleep at night. But it sets up this whole system for adapting to stress. So if anybody's listening to this, do this for seven to 14 days, you will feel like a different person. I literally had somebody message me this morning. She said, she's never been a morning person. She started doing this several months ago and it literally has changed her life. And this isn't like fake science. This was the, the science behind this was came out of a, a lab at Princeton. That's the number one thing that you can do. That's going to then set you up for sleep. Cause here's the thing. When you sleep, it is not, it, this is like a non-negotiable the formula for adapting to stress is the right dose of stress and the right dose of rest. So think about it from a, um, from a coach's perspective. On game day, your job is to be able to make critical decisions, all right? All during the week, you are learning. You're learning your opponent's tendencies, you're learning your game plan, and you need to be able to recall information very quickly to make the right decision. Would you agree, Keith? Yes. Okay. That whole process, you can put in all the work that you want, but do you know when learning and memory actually is cemented? It's cemented during sleep. So when you sleep at night, your brain is actually like strengthening the neurological connections that were actually what happens is, is like when you start learning something new, you kind of feel a little bit this agitation, this little bit of anxiety that's that's adrenaline going it marks these neurons in your brain that you use while you were learning and then when you go to sleep at night it strengthens those connections but when you sleep at night you're, there's a massive restoration process that occurs your immune system is restored your hormonal systems are restored and then the tissues of your body are regenerated it does this by releasing hormones like growth hormone guys If you're struggling with low testosterone, the majority of your testosterone is released for men during sleep. Fragmented sleep or reduced sleep will significantly impact your testosterone. As a matter of fact, one week of sleep restriction to about five hours a night will reduce your testosterone by 10 to 15%. And this is a condition experienced by about 15% of the U.S. population. You and I both know coaches are sleep-deprived. And as the season goes on, it just gets worse. Another thing that happens when you go to bed at night regarding your hormones, you've, we've all heard that cortisol is a stress hormone. It's good because it makes you feel alert. But if it's chronically elevated, it can lead to weight gain. When you sleep at night, cortisol is suppressed. And it also helps you restore your immune system. Well, if you're not getting enough sleep, guess what's going to happen? That cortisol level is going to be elevated consistently, you're going to put on more weight and your immune system's going to start tanking. And usually by the end of the season, coaches start getting sick. And I've seen the kind of this pattern, as soon as the season ends and kind of the gas pedal goes off, that's what a lot of guys tank. So the last thing I want to mention is, is this is kind of new neuroscience that we've learned in the past 10 to 15 years. When you sleep at night, have you ever heard of the lymphatic system, Keith? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So it's like this, m- system that when you move your muscles, it kind of pumps out metabolic waste product. We've recently found that the brain has its own detoxification system called the glymphatic system. And what it does is at night, it's actually clearing these metabolic waste products and flushing them out of your brain. And a lot of these waste products, one of the key proteins that's cleared is called amyloid beta, and it's associated with neurodegeneration like cognitive decline, like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. And this system is activated when you are asleep. So when you do not get enough sleep, you literally have crap stuck in your brain. And there's a reason why we now think, you know, like when you have a really great night of sleep, it's almost like restorative, regenerative, you feel really alert. But when you don't get enough sleep, you kind of have brain fog, that's why. And so the first pillar for adapting to stress is you've got to get enough sleep. And, you know, seven to nine hours is that key timeframe. And if you're one of those guys listening, it's like, you know, Eric, I'm great off of six. You're probably not. You most likely do not have the genetic polymorphism that allows you to sleep less than seven hours a night. It just doesn't happen. It's like a fraction of 1% of the population and you may feel like i'm doing great but you probably don't even know what good is right now so seven to nine hours of sleep is what you need going to bed so there's three key sleep key behaviors that you need to lock in one is duration which is seven to nine hours number two is timing uh there was a recent paper that was uh published by the broad institute at harvard and mit and they found that going to bed later at night consistently increases your risk of major depression significantly so much that if you shift your sleep back one hour, you can experience a 23% reduction in major depression. Going back two hours was associated with almost a 40% reduction. This was a study with over 800,000 people and they looked at genetic data and all this stuff. So ideally you want to be in bed before midnight and then consistency you want to try to keep the same sleep routine all through the week so don't have one sleep routine during the week and another on the weekend because that can lead to something called social jet lag so a lot of times you know you may have let's say you have a game on friday night maybe you stay up late because you're still a little bit amped you crash and sleep a lot on you know saturday morning or sunday morning then your sleep gets dysregulated, this can lead to increased risk of weight gain, metabolic risk factors, and also depression. So I just want to pause there after talking about sleep. Does this make sense?
0: It really does. And I mean it's a little bit eye opening. I've heard some of these things before. Some of this information you're sharing is, is new to me. And I just think to what we all do as coaches, uh, it's it's either <laughs> that pot of coffee that's uh, on and, and coach drinking it throughout the day or the energy drinks. Uh, I I was definitely guilty of uh, being a, a guy who probably consumed too much Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But I know in, in terms of where those have gone and, and the amount of caffeine, uh, I mean, you look at a Celsius now, I think it's 200 milligrams. So, I mean, it's just getting crazy with the amount of caffeine we're putting in our body and thinking that, hey, we're good.
1: Yeah, I mean, caffeine... Caffeine is okay. Like, first of all, I don't want to demonize caffeine. I'm drinking a cup of coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just finished mine.
1: Let me give you some guidelines, though I think this is really good to understand. So caffeine is a, um, is a stimulant. Let's just call it what it is. It's the most commonly used stimulant in the world. There's actually a tremendous amount of research on longevity and uh, coffee and caffeine consumption, and up to about four cups of coffee a day it actually can improve longevity. Here's the problem. When you're relying on it for energy, like to get to make it through the day. So here's my recommendation. If you want to get the best, the most out of your caffeine, first of all, make sure you're viewing sunlight first thing in the morning because that's going to spike your cortisol, which is going to give you that natural burst of energy. Then delay your caffeine intake, your coffee intake about two hours. If you can hold off about two hours after you wake up. So you get up in the morning, do your thing. You know, the sun comes up, get a little bit of sunlight. Maybe it's in the parking lot at school. Maybe you go on a short 10 minute walk in the morning. That's a great idea. Then you can have your cup of coffee or two. That's fine. Totally fine. But when you're relying on caffeine to just make it through the day, like it's, that's when there's a problem. You can use it to, you know, spike your alertness. There's nothing wrong with that for like, you know, for practice. Uh, I would definitely try to limit caffeine intake about six hours before bedtime because that's going to prevent you from being able to fall asleep very easily. Because what caffeine does is it blocks these uh, receptors in your brain called adenosine receptors. And it basically (laughs) jukes your brain out and makes your brain think that you're you're alert, more alert than you really are, and then when those adenosine, when that caffeine wears off, then you kind of have this crash. So, um, if you're anchoring your circadian clock in the morning, you delay that cup of coffee a couple hours. You will notice that the caffeine hits a bit differently. And I would just say, keep it under four cups a day.
0: That's good advice. I did want to ask a little bit about you mentioned the sunlight being important. So, as I sit and record this and look out my window in Northeast Ohio. I see what I typically do uh from about November until uh april gray uh and yeah. you know the one thing i've I have right here on my desk is a uh i think it's called a blue light, and I don't even remember the name of this little device now, but it's uh supposed to i guess imitate the sunlight but thoughts on on ways to do that uh, especially this time of year where uh, the sunlight can be a little bit sparse in places.
1: Yeah. So it's a great question. I get this quite frequently. It doesn't, first of all, looking through a window is 50 times less effective. You literally have to go outside. So I hate to rain on your parade, but like <laughs> you you literally need to go outside. I don't care if it's cold. I used to live uh, right on the border of Kentucky and Ohio. And, you know, we'd get some crazy snow and stuff like that. Just go sit on your porch. The cold will actually wake you up, too, and uh, in a good way. Uh, The cold exposure in the morning is a phenomenal way to spike adrenaline. You know, people are doing all these cold baths and cold showers. You can get the same effect by going outside and getting cold for a few minutes, but you literally have to go outside and view sunlight because it's the quality and intensity of light. So there's what's called a lux meter. You can get an app for like a buck. And you could point this meter, it's a a meter of intensity of light. You could point it at like the light board that you're talking about, which is helpful. But if you were to go outside, even on a cloudy day, the the lux of light could be 10,000, 20,000 lux versus inside, it may be three or 400. And so you just need to go outside. Maybe you can't go outside for 20 minutes all in one burst. Go out for five, come in, take a break, go out for five. Does that make sense? But you got to go outside. Do it for two weeks trust me you're going to feel different it's how your body's wired
0: yeah i think that's that's great advice i can think of you know going back to uh my high school days of of coaching football where my office was tucked away somewhere in the middle of the building without a, a, a window oh. so, <laughs> i mean, i remember eric my first one of my first weeks when i was at bw we had we just called it the bunker, and it literally was a cinder block bunker. I mean, you know, furnished very nicely. They did it well with, with how it was done, but you never had an idea of what time of day it was or what it was like outside. I can remember, in and this is like summer of 2009. We're in there, and we're watching our first opponent playoff film, and they're playing in the snow, and I literally get this feel like when I walk out of that room that I should see snow outside. I mean, that's how <laughs> de- deprived we were, uh, uh, you know, sensory deprivation. Right. So, um, yeah, I can relate to it. And that makes a lot of sense to get outside, actually, and experience the, uh, the sun. I mean, a lot of times we have great facilities in our building for exercise. So we're running on a treadmill or a bike. And even even with, uh, you know, the big windows in, in some of those facilities, I think that's an important point there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was recently reviewing some research by a very famous neuroendocrinologist
0: named Bruce McEwen,
1: and he's kind of like one of the fathers of our modern understanding of stress. The first thing he mentioned when it comes to adapting to stress is your circadian clock. I mean, that was the first thing in this like huge scientific paper. And as a coach, I mean, I remember when I was at the Texans, I was in the internal part of the bowl. So you're kind of at the bowels of the stadium. And you're right. Like I had no, I go in when it was dark and I leave when it was dark. I was terribly unhealthy. And when I started going, okay, I need to go outside. Like you can go outside for five minutes and just do it frequently throughout the day and anchor your body on, because that is how our body is wired. We're wired to work with the sun. The second thing I'd want to bring up about building adaptive capacity, that's kind of this idea. We want to build the capacity to adapt to more stress. It's something called mental fitness. And I think a lot of coaches will, will like this concept, but being mentally fit, we think about being physically fit, but being, having mental fitness is the ability to be consciously present and to process information without bias. This empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through committed actions anchored in your values. My, my good friend, Dr. Peter Haberl, he's a senior psychologist at the U.S. Olympics. He said, attention is the currency of performance. Every great coach, every great athlete wants to have control of their attention in pivotal moments so that you can take action. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. There's this
1: myth, though, that the best in the world don't feel pressure. And that's completely false. Uh, There's a great cyclist. His name is Sir Chris Hoy. He's the greatest Olympic cyclist of all time, six-time Olympic gold medalist. And when he was describing what it was like to race in his first Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. Like he was going to get executed. (laughs) This is like the greatest of all time. But what he would do is he went on to say, I would shift my attention to the feeling of my feet in the clips or my hands gripping the steering wheel, and I would be able to shift my attention to the thing I needed to do. So if the outcome of a future event or experience is is uncertain and important, you should expect to feel uncomfortable. The key is you want to be able to regain focus of your attention, know where your head is so that you can take action. So why why are you like, Eric, what does this have to do with stress, okay? A lot of times in our heads, we go down the rabbit hole on stuff. We start chasing thoughts, things that are very unhealthy, and we end up, it's called um, rumination. You know, we start thinking about like why we lost the game. We think about something going on home with our wife or our kids, and it just eats away at us. And we do not have control of our attention. So you know what that does? Spikes all of these stress systems. Remember I told you all these systems have like one general response? Yes. You're going to have the same stress response as if you were getting up, speaking in front of a thousand people. So you've, you've probably heard of mindfulness before, correct?
0: yeah it's something we've talked a little bit on this podcast. I've had some coaches come on and do that. I could say from a personal standpoint, it's something I've been working on now for a couple of years using you know apps like calm understanding breathing mm-hmm. techniques all those things and it's it's not easy to do. You would think it'd be easy, but it's actually not easy to do.
1: no it's very difficult. It's not i want for anybody coach out there like that's kind of on the you know, fence about this. It's not a spiritual thing. No. Mindfulness is about controlling your attention. And it's literally as simple as I mean, you can do mindfulness in a lot of ways, but a lot of people use their breath. They just kind of close their eyes and you focus your attention on a perceptual event and you literally just observe and your mind's gonna wander. So for maybe 10 minutes, you'd close your eyes, sit in your chair, and just focus on breathing in and out, and just kind of observing your breath, not controlling it, and your mind's gonna wander. And then you're gonna go, oh man, I'm thinking about something else. So you're gonna bring your mind back. That process right there of your mind wandering and coming back is actually what does all of these amazing things. You start to regain control of your attention. And mindfulness has been demonstrated to decrease anxiety depression, burnout, it improves biomarkers for stress, like blood pressure, metabolic profiles, like your blood lipids, it improves your mental functioning, your positive mental affect, it improves executive functions, like attentional control, working memory, planning, fluid intelligence, all of things I think head coaches or any coach on the on the staff would want to be better at. And it's something you can do anywhere, anytime. You can do it while showering instead of just getting in the shower and just kind of going through the motions. You can literally think about the water running down your hair, the suds on, like, there's a lot of different ways to train mindfulness. And I think it is one of the absolute best ways to improve your mental fitness. Actually, there was a study that came out, I think it was last week. It was eight weeks of mindfulness versus people that were using a common antidepressant drug and they found that both mindfulness training and the antidepressant after eight weeks resulted in a 30% reduction in anxiety, like the exact same outcomes without taking the drug. So what we're trying to do is, is like, so by sleeping, we're able to adapt to more stress by training our mind, to be able to know where our attention is, and then to be able to regulate ourselves in the moment is going to be able to help you adapt to more stress. It's going to improve all these biomarkers for stress. So does that, is that, is that helpful?
0: Yes, for sure.
1: And for coaches out there like, well, how much time do I need to do? I would just start with a few five minute sessions a week. Ideally you would spend five to 10 minutes, four to six times a week. And there's a lot of great research coming out of Misha Jha's lab at University of Miami. So, like 40 to 60 minutes a week, 10 minutes a day, can literally radically change your ability to adapt to stress, improve your executive functioning, and um, it's one of the. I think it's one of the the most time efficient resources we have for improving stress adaptation. I want to hit exercise really quick. That's like the third pillar. There's some really interesting research I've been digging into lately where exercise training actually improves general stress resilience, including psychological resilience. Because it all goes back to the same thing. When you get up and, you know, like when you're in a game, your heart rate's elevated, your blood pressure's up, right? When you're in a stressful situation, Every time you engage in exercise, you know what you're doing? You're kicking on all of those same systems in a deliberate manner. And what happens is by doing that, you're actually improving your body's ability to be more resilient. They actually cause it, like a toughening effect to stress. And so there are two types of exercise that everybody needs to be doing. Everybody needs to be doing some aerobic type of exercise and you need to be doing resistance training. The stats on this are absolutely staggering, but just by doing moderate or vigorous physical activity, like basically the U.S. guidelines of hitting 150 to 300 minutes a week, like you can reduce all cause mortality by like 20, 25%, like your risk of dying. What does this look like? It could be getting on the elliptical. It could be getting on an incline treadmill. It could be, you, you can you can come up with all the different ways that you can get into this aerobic exercise. Bill Belichick, remember those old films of him, like watching film with the, <laughs> with the Easton sweat jackets on? You remember what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, you can get creative, but you need to be hitting at least 150 minutes of aerobic exercise a week. There's, uh, there's significant literature coming out right now about how this improves your brain health, improves learning and plasticity at all ages. So you need to be doing that, and then you also need to be doing some type of resistance training.
0: Quick question on the, the, the aerobic side. You said 150 minutes. What type of intensity for that? Right. Great I, question. I mean, Because there's so many different ways that can be handled.
1: Going for a walk is great, but that's not going to get it done there's two categories. So 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 to 100 minutes and 50 minutes of vigorous. I'll start with moderate. Moderate is your heart rates at least above 60% max heart rate. So if you took 220, so I'm 40 years old. Here's a very simple way to figure this out. Take 220 minus your age. So for me, um, I'm actually 42. Let's just call it 40. So that's 180. I would need to get my heart rate above like 108 beats a minute. For some folks, that's getting on a treadmill on like a six degree incline and walking. So if you have a smartwatch, like an Apple watch or a chest strap or something, you're, you need to have your heart rate elevated, but you can have like, you should be able to speak. Okay. That's moderate exercise, like 60 to 75% max heart rate. So for me, that's like 108. So I think like almost like 140, 135.
0: So I'm, I'm 51. Can I just call it 40 as well?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you can call it if you want. Okay, but for you that would be like what? That, oh, let's see, one seventy times, you know, one hundred and five, one hundred two beats a minute. Okay, um, it's but you have like just going for a walk isn't going to get it done. You're going to have to get your heart rate elevated. That's moderate intensity. The vigorous stuff would be like hit, you know, where like you go. 20 seconds all out on a bike and then you're resting for 40 to 60 seconds because it's such a high intensity, you can get a lot of the same cardiovascular benefits in a shorter period of time. So, and that's why there's kind of a multiplying factor of two minutes. So for every one minute of vigorous, it's equivalent to two minutes of moderate, but so you either need a blend of 150 to 300 minutes of moderate or hundred or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous. So, you know, you could go one day of doing. All right, I'm gonna get on the bike for 10 minutes, warm up. I'm gonna do 10 minutes of HIT training. You know, 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off for 10, and then you know, kind of cool it down for 10 minutes, and and now you've got yourself almost 40 minutes or 30. You know, does that make sense? Yes. So, coaches, you need to be doing aerobic exercise and then resistance training. Uh, you don't have to be squatting and deadlifting and power cleaning. But you need to be lifting, you could be using machine weights, whatever, but total body strengthening, so upper and lower body strengthening exercises, how long, you know, there's not a whole lot of literature on how long, but I would say probably 45 minutes twice a week. If you combine aerobic training with the resistance training, you reduce your risk of all-cause mortality by over 30%. That's a massive change in health. It's going to improve global, physical, and psychological stress resilience. So find something that works for you that you enjoy. Coaches, there's a million ways to skin the cat on this one, but just make sure you're hitting these basic parameters. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does.
1: I'm going to hit the last two quickly. Nutrition. think this is one of the hardest things for folks because like you said before the day gets moving really quick you get time poor and you're like you know what it's easy just to go through the drive-thru consuming an anti-inflammatory diet is what you're looking for it's a diet comprised of unprocessed foods rich in multicolored vegetables fruits nuts whole grains fish healthy oils What this is going to do is it's going to enable you to effectively repair tissues in your body, and it's going to lower systemic inflammation. Inflammation in your body is what's going to cause disease, okay? There was a recent meta-analysis. That means it's a a study of a lot of studies with over 100,000 people, and they found that adopting an anti-inflammatory diet is an effective means for reducing the risk of depression, there was actually a paper that came out this week that I saw. I don't know all the, I need to go through all the details. They are talking about eating an anti-inflammatory diet and its impact on testosterone. and It was pretty significant. What this looks like, you know, I just tell coaches like, Hey, when it comes to your food selection choices, focus on the outside of the grocery store. Everything on the perimeter of the grocery store is pretty much in its natural state stuff in the middle of the store is, you know, boxed, highly processed, lots of sugar. These things are going to inflame your brain and your body. And look, I, I'm not perfect. I don't think that any, you know, you shouldn't call it cheating. You know, when you go out and have a fun meal with your family or at post game, you know, that's just living life. But 80% of your diet, 80% of the food you consume should be these things that we're talking about. So, uh, you know, basic rules of thumb, try to eat the rainbow every day. Get as many different fruits, different, many different colors as you can on your plate. Make sure you're getting adequate protein intake. You're getting healthy fats that are like nuts and seeds. And I, you know, there's very few supplements that I recommend, but I recommend for everybody a very high quality EPA DHA, uh, like fish oil, try to get two grams a day. That's, highly correlated with um, brain health, with reductions in depression, improvement improvements in mood. Um, so, from a nutrition standpoint, that we could do a whole episode or two on this. Multicolored fruits and vegetables, things more in their natural state, it's going to dramatically impact the way you feel. It's going to lower systemic inflammation, improve your body's ability to take on and cope with stress. Do you have any comments or questions?
0: Well, I, I do have a question on, on that one in terms of, uh, and, and believe me, I've studied this quite a bit, and background on it, uh, you know, my father, uh, cancer now twice, uh, a heart attack, a stroke. I mean, he's done it all, and, you know, from being someone who was an athlete, I did see him make very poor decisions about his, his diet, right? A very particular diet, definitely heavy in in things that uh weren't good for him. Uh for me focused on that and really it's it's become more of a plant based diet. Challenges certainly in getting the protein. I have to be very conscientious mm. about that. But just thoughts on that. Uh I didn't do it for I mean, there's a lot of people out there who do it for um you know ethical reasons, what they feel about how food is produced, et cetera, et cetera. I, I didn't get into that. I did get into it for the anti inflammatory part of it but just your thoughts on those types of diets
1: you know look i think there's a lot of ways to skin the cat and i think i would take that form of diet over the modern western diet any day that you did bring up the one key issue that people have a problem with and that is getting adequate protein because a lot of the foods that you're going to be eating have a tremendous amount of fiber and so it's just hard to eat more right which is good you're going to get full faster. The key amino acid that's involved in muscle protein synthesis is called leucine, and so for somebody that's eating a plant-based diet, they t- I typically recommend that they supplement with some leucine, so that they can, along with their foods, so they can get enough of that amino acid, so they can maintain or increase protein synthesis. Because that's the key thing. You do not want to lose muscle as you age. That's called sarcopenia, and that is a major risk for. For all sorts of health problems. So I have no problem with it. Just make sure you're getting enough protein. And there's a lot of good protein powders out there that you can use if you want to, if you want to go in that direction. But leucine is the key amino acid that you're going to need to probably supplement with.
0: Yeah, that that for me has been it really is getting to the point where I have had to supplement with uh, the protein powder. And uh, I'm I'm not going necessarily for perfection here, and I, it's always got to be plant based. Yeah. I mean, there is every now and then, um, you know. I'll have uh, it's usually more seafood, fish, something like that. Yeah, being conscientious though of making sure that whatever that isn't plant based is, like you said, from the outside aisle of the grocery store.
1: Yeah, I think if, it coaches in general, like, look, you know, I guess. If you could take away anything from today, there's these five pillars, right? And we'll talk about community in just a second, but pick pick one, focus on that pillar for a while, right? Improve that area and then go on to the next. I would, don't, don't try to change everything at one time, right? If you're like, man, I really need to sleep better. All right, well, I'm gonna follow the recommendation on viewing sunlight first thing in the morning. And then I'm going to start focusing on making sure I'm getting enough rest and then go to the next thing. Right. Because it can get overwhelming. It can almost be like, man, there's just too many things to do. I I found that if most people can start sleeping better and start exercising, it it turns into this flywheel where they want to start doing more, 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 more. And just one more thing on that, Keith, like we're about to come up on the new year and people are going to want to make changes in their life. Right. We're going to start wanting to make new year's resolutions and, do you remember, uh, I think his name is Ethan Suplee. Do you know who that is? I, I don't. Remember, like, um, he was a really overweight actor. He was in, like, remember the Titans? And you would know him oh, if you yes. saw him.
0: Yes, I know what you're talking about. He
1: got up to, like, 500 and something pounds, and he's down now to, like, two something. And he's, like, it's amazing. When, when I listened to Ethan talk about, like, what he had to do to lose that weight, because it was like 15 years of roller coaster. He lost and gained a thousand pounds before he was able to finally nip this thing in the bud. You literally have to take on a new identity. It's like when players join your team and they're like they put on the jersey, they're they're now a I'm just gonna call a name, they're now a tiger, right? They have now assumed a new identity. You literally, as he says, you have to kill your clone. Like Every night he says, you're going to have to make the decision at midnight, am I going to kill my clone? Am I going to get rid of that old version of me? Am I going to assume the identity that I am now somebody that lives a healthy? I eat healthy. That is who I am. I exercise. I'm an exerciser. I'm a person that values my health, mental and physical it's going to be really hard to make long-term change until you decide to assume a new identity. Just like you ask your players to assume a new identity when they join your roster, you have to do the same thing if you want to change your physical and mental health. And so I think the key to all of this is whether, you know, vegan or we're going to do this guy, what's your new identity. And if you can assume that new identity, then all this stuff's going to fall in place.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. It's funny with family members you know especially now coming up on times of the holiday anytime we get together yeah. so, you know are you guys still doing that that diet and we're like, it's, it's not a diet <laughs> this is not a diet this it's a is lifestyle just, yeah it's a lifestyle it's how we live right now this is how we we do it so it's it's uh i agree with you 100 percent. and that's just how it's been for us and it's i've been on the other end where oh, i'm going to go on a diet and lose weight and in the just the mindset really makes a difference.
1: hundred percent. I mean, nobody's going, Hey, did you quit your team? No, that's, that's my identity, you know, like, so I think if coaches, you know, and and it's not going to be easy, but you got to assume that new identity. The last pillar I want to hit up really quickly is this idea of community and healthy relationships. I think if anything from COVID period of time, we learned that, Life is not meant to be lived alone. When you're in isolation, and you can be with a group of people and living in isolation, if that makes any sense, you have to engage in healthy relationships. There was actually a a study published by the British Psychological Society that pointed out that during lockdown periods, people with greater social connectedness uh, had less worry and fatigue, uh, as well as lower perceived levels of stress. They found that like when you stay connected in times of stress, you literally create a buffer against poor mental and physical health outcomes. And it helps you adapt to new and changing circumstances. Staying in healthy relationships and healthy community is really important. And I recommend people have relationships outside of work, a community outside of the office, uh, outside of that building. I was doing research on like, you know, all the things that were associated with reducing allostatic load, that cost of adaptation, I found something that was really fascinating. No matter what your faith background is, I found this really interesting. They found that it was a study with over 5,400 people over 18 years, and they found that regular attendance in any type of faith community reduced the risk of death or all-cause mortality by 55%. Wow. This is when they control for sociodemographic, clinical, and laboratory factors. It resulted in like lower blood pressure, improved HDL, lower LDL, like crazy stuff. No matter what your faith is, it's like this idea of like being part of a community, like a very supportive community. And you can find that in the locker room, but sometimes you may be in a really toxic environment at work. You need to make sure that you have that community outside of work. It could be your family. It could be some close friends that you connect with once a week on a phone call. But I highly, highly recommend, that's the fifth part of this thing, is community and relationships. So if you want to kind of tie a bow on this, like the five things that you need to be engaging in if you want to improve your ability to adapt and thrive under stress is sleep, mental fitness, exercise, nutrition, and living in community.
0: So Eric, a big part of my transformation and the way I've adjusted my lifestyle still is revolving around technology and a tool that I have on my wrist, my yeah. Apple watch, being able to, you know, give me feedback on, on what I'm doing. And I know that you left football, uh, to get into technology and wearables are a big part of it. And I really feel like that is something that uh, can help us, that it's a, a tool we can use as coaches, as individuals, to help us get to where we want. Cause I think all of this ultimately, and well, you know, why are you sitting here and listening to this episode? This is still about your performance as a coach as well.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, technology is amazing. The, you know, we have these devices on our wrists now that can measure our heart rate and how far we walk and how much sleep we get. But I think just like anything else, it's just data, right? Unless you know how to take action on that data, it's, you know, data without insight is completely useless. And so that's why I started my company in seven. That's why I left football. You know, I, when we first started doing all the athlete tracking stuff, you know, we talked about this on the show before back in 2011 at Florida state, like we had tons of data about everything that these players were doing. We're like, well, how in the world do we use this to actually improve performance? And reduce injuries. And when we were able to finally unlock that, we had like an 88% reduction in injury. Um, and so I started looking at, you know, consumer wearables and I'm like, okay, do people actually know how to use this to improve their health and wellness? And the, the answer is no. I think the number one complaint by wearable tech users is their data is useless. So I started AIM-7 to basically help people know exactly what they need to do each day for their mind, body, and recovery, so they can look, feel, and perform better. The whole concept behind AIM-7 is improving adaptive capacity, everything that we've talked about today. So I'm pretty excited. We're about to roll this thing out here in the next, coming, in the next couple weeks. But what we do is, is um, we do two things. We give you recommendations every day, like I said, for mind, body, and recovery. We can tell you based off of all the exercise you do what type of exercise is best for you that day. How hard you should go and how long you should go to improve your ability to adapt to stress. We also provide you daily mental fitness recommendations. So, let's say we notice that you're really stressed out, we'll send you a breath work tool that you can use in the moment to help regulate your stress. Or, let's say we notice that your energy is lagging, we'll send you a breath work tool to kind of help bring your energy and focus up, or a gratitude journal to improve your mood. And then we also provide sleep and napping recommendations. But then we take it a step further and uh, your first seven days in the app, we're analyzing your data. Just like you would, before you play a team, you're gonna break down the film. You're gonna analyze things for several days. We send about a week looking at all the data. We send you a bunch of different questionnaires inside the app. And then on day seven, we send you what's called a limiting factor report. We're like, hey, this is the number one thing that's holding back your health and wellness. And then we unlock content in the app and features to help you fix that one thing. So it could be, hey, maybe you're just not getting enough exercise. We'll automatically help you create goals every week to help nudge you in the right direction. Or maybe it's mental fitness is the area you need to focus on, or it's your sleep. And we unlock a content library with like, I went out and got what I think are some of the best folks in the world, like Dr. Haberl at the U.S. Olympics. He's teaching a whole thing in there on mental performance and attentional focus. I'm doing a lot of stuff on sleep. We have almost a hundred pieces of content in there. So if you're starting, like, you're like, Hey, I have no idea where to begin. And you have an Apple watch aim seven is a great place. If you're already fit, you're exercising three, four times a week. You are know, like I want to elevate my game a little bit. We kind of have a spectrum of folks that we can serve. And so we leverage data from your Apple watch right now. We'll have whoop aura and Garmin in around January, but, um, I built this for busy people that don't have time to look at all their data. They just want to know what do I need to do today to feel better. And so I kind of built this with coaches in mind. Like, yeah, if I'm a busy coach and I got five minutes, you know, I just want to know what to do. And so it's very action oriented.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the feedback is, is so important. And to, to just operate blindly, okay, here's a plan. I'm just going to keep following this. I think everything needs feedback, right? We give our players feedback constantly to elevate their performance. And I know you've done some initial studies here uh, as you've, you're bringing this to, to market. How much more effective is this for an individual mm-hmm. versus, okay, Here here's my plan on paper. I'm just going to go and do this.
1: Yeah, so in the first month, the average AIM-7 user had a 31% reduction in stress, a 19% reduction in soreness, then improvements in sleep, uh, motivation, and they did 38% more workouts. One of the things that we baked into this app was there was research I did, or I should say Dr. Chris Morris, who's the head of performance science at the University of Kentucky, when I was there on something called fluid periodization. Long story short, what that means is this. Let's say you have an exercise plan, you do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Just because it's written down, doesn't mean your body and brain is ready to adapt to that stress. What we found is is if you use data from your wearables and you manipulate how hard or how long you go that day or even the type of exercise, you can improve fitness significantly faster. We've automated that whole thing inside this app. So whether you do jogging or the elliptical or weightlifting, will tell you exactly how hard and how long to go that day based off of how your body is, is, is feeling that day and is ready to adapt. And it speeds up results significantly.
0: So, Eric, how can our listeners learn more and be able to access this app once it's launched and ready to go?
1: Yeah, so if you go to aim7.com, A-I-M-7.com, and you sign up, get early access, it will not be in the app store for a while. So what we're doing is, is we're keeping this in what's called private data. So you have to, we're literally going to like be letting small groups of people in at a time. But if you sign up and you put in, we're going to ask you like, Hey, where did you hear about us? Say, Hey, I heard of you about you on the coach coordinator podcast. We'll move you up to the front of the line. We have got about 2000 people on the waiting list, but I'm, you know, I want to help and serve coaches so, we'll move you right up to the front of the line. And when we're rolling this out, we'll send you an email and then we'll send you a link to download the app and you can get started.
0: Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, as always, I love these conversations when you come on the podcast. We've got to make sure we do it more because you bring some great information, I think, that can help us <laughs> in our personal performance. And obviously, when we're able to perform better as individuals, it's going to help our team. And and everything else we're involved in. So I really appreciate what you're doing and and, and taking some time here to share this on our podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me, it's a pleasure.